The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to Sports Talk New York. And I'm your host, Rob Kramer. Thanks for tuning in here. Um, you know, we got a lot to get into tonight on this uh, beautiful September 26th, 2021 edition of Sports Talk New York. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm Rob Kramer. I'm your host for the next hour. And uh, we got a lot to get into today. We had a full slate of sports activities on the day today around the New York area. Well, Kicking it off at 1 o'clock, we had the Giants starting things off. Um, we had the Mets coming on at 2 p.m. today, the, followed by the Jets at 4 p.m. Uh, and then the Yankees and the Red Sox picked things up at 7, followed by the uh, Rangers and the New York Islanders kicking off their preseason slate of games as hockey, believe it or not, is also now back. Uh, the only sport we're missing right now is basketball. They'll be back in the next few weeks as well. Um, but, you know... Even without that, we still got a lot today. We got a lot of losses to cover today, too, as the Giants, Mets, and Jets all went down immediately. Um, really, really rough uh, Sunday here in the New York area. Um, you know, but before we get into all that, we'll have enough misery to cover uh, for the next hour. I mean, unless you're talking about the uh, the New York Islanders and the New York Yankees. Um, but... Outside of those two teams, there's a, a, a lot of pain going around right now. Um, but if you want to uh, see more about this show, you could check out any of our old shows, uh, all the hosts, anything like that, all your um, Sports Talk New York information at sportstalkny.com. That's sportstalkny.com. You could also check out anything from this whole station, Long Island's oldest radio station, WGBB, am1240wgbb.com. Check that out at your leisure. And also on social media, you can check us out at WGBB Sports Talk for this show and at WGBB Radio. Give us a like on Facebook for both the same thing as well. So uh, thanks for tuning in tonight. And now after all that, uh, I'd like to kick it off with a little uh, New York Giants talk. We'll start with the football, and I'll get into the uh, baseball and, you know, with whatever with whatever time we have left, we'll cover a little bit of this uh, Rangers-Islanders preseason game going on right now in the preseason opener for both squads. Um, Gerard Gallant, his uh, his coaching debut for the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden, so very fun evening there as a lot of kids are in the lineup tonight for both squads. Um, but starting off with the Giants and the football um, you know, side of things here in New York, now we all know football in this town has been bad for quite some time. I mean, for both these teams, the Jets and the Giants, it's been a long time since either of these teams were playing um, meaningful games late in the season. Uh, as for the Giants, it's been since 2016. Um, that that team made the playoffs. Uh, they, they lost that infamous game after the boat with the guys all hanging out on the boat, going down to Florida and partying with Odell Beckham Jr. and those other dudes. And, uh, maybe not quite taking the playoff game as seriously as they should have. Um, but they ended up losing that game to Green Bay. And 
you know, haven't, haven't even sniffed the playoffs since then. Um, so aside from that, you know, the, the Giants have had a lot of high draft picks lately. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley, speaking of one of those former draft picks, was looking, um, a little bit closer to his, his old self today as he continues to come back from an ACL injury that devastated his career early on last season. He's still trying to work it back into shape, but, uh, you know, Otherwise, today he had 16 carries for 51 yards, scored his first touchdown since the injury. So that is good news for Giants fans. What's bad news for Giants fans is that they ended up losing this game 17-14. Um, very, very tough game to watch. Tough game to watch and lose if you're a Giants fan. As the Giants had two leads late, uh, well, one early and one late. As they, they led 6 nothing early on, allowed the touchdown to go back down 7-6. Then they were up 14-7 after they scored a touchdown and got the two-point conversion. Ended up blowing that lead to 14-14 before you knew it. And the eventual game-winning field goal to seal it, 17-14. As Daniel Jones had a decent day out there, the Giants' other former high draft pick, the number six overall pick, a couple of years ago, Daniel Jones, 24 of 35, 266 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, um, played a decent game. I wouldn't necessarily call it mistake-free. I wouldn't necessarily call it a uh, great game or a good game even, but it was a passable game. It's a game um, that they should have been able to win, especially against a very, very poor Falcons team that um, most people aren't giving a chance to even sniff the playoff this this year, as well as the Giants. But one guy I also want to focus on is the tight end, Evan Ingram. You know, this guy has uh, kind of been, as uh, Winston Churchill once said, a, a mystery wrapped in an enigma. And that is what you can really say um, describes Giants tight end, Evan Ingram. He came out of the shoot a couple of years ago and had a really good rookie season. He looked like a guy that all they had to do was figure out a way to keep him healthy and he would be a plus player, especially, you know, at the tight end position, a guy they can rely on, um, you know, not so much in the blocking schemes, but definitely as a threat to catch passes and go the distance. And, uh, unfortunately for them, he's battled these injuries. He's battled inconsistent play. You know, sometimes he goes out there and he looks like uh, Tony Gonzalez. Other times he goes out there and he looks like, you know, a guy that's going to get cut any day. And today he had one of those tough days. Two carries, 21 yards, a big fumble, which uh, really helped uh, get the momentum on the Atlanta Falcons side. So a uh, very tough, very tough loss there. You know, this is a, a bad loss for a bad Giants team, too a bad uh, Falcons team. And now, if you want to put the blame on somebody, too, a guy that really has escaped a lot of the blame, um, you know, a, a, a guy that really, uh, from, from from ownership, at least, <laughs> because, the, of course, the fans and media, um, some media, have tried to hold him accountable, Dave Gettleman, and even I have given Dave Gettleman, I'm not a Giants fan, I have tried to give Dave Gettleman the benefit of the doubt at times, but when you look at the product on the field today, it all starts from the head down. And obviously, Gettleman's not even the tippy top of the head. 
the tippy top of the head is John Mara, who, by the way, was booed today by New York Giants fans. Um, and he was booed today during the Eli Manning number retirement ceremony. Eli Manning, the Giants' two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, had his number 10 raised today for their team. Um, nobody in Giants history again will ever wear number 10. Um, Eli's name, you know, already had been etched in Giants history with his two incredible Super Bowl wins over the Patriots in 2007 and 2011. And now he's, you know, going to be memorialized forever, and deservedly so. But one thing you can tell uh, how upset and passionate these Giants fans are right now is that they were booing John Mara during this ceremony, which is supposed to be nothing but good feelings. And you can't blame Giants fans for booing him, and you can't blame Giants fans for having bad feelings towards this team. There's been nothing but bad play, losing, and incompetence for the last five, six years. And it, realistically, it goes back even further than that. The really the, Starting in 2012, the year after um, their Super Bowl championship season, there's been a sharp decline. And even you can count that year, too, they didn't get hot until the end of the year. If, if they didn't beat the Jets in that Christmas Eve game, which really propelled them to the playoffs and propelled them on the playoff run, you know, we might be talking about the Giants having done nothing since the 2007 Super Bowl, where they beat the, the Patriots and, and stopped the undefeated season in the most unlikely and craziest of fashion. But, you know, right now you got Dave Gettleman at 15 and 36 as the general manager of this Giants team. Let me say that again. 15 wins and 36 losses. Terrible. More than double the losses than he has for the, the wins. And the head coach that he hired, the second head coach that he's hired now, Joe Judge, is 6-13 and 13 at the helm after this loss today, after dropping to 0-3 for the second straight season. And it's not going to get easier for the Giants next week. You know, same thing with the Jets, who we'll get to in a minute. Uh, the, you're not going to have an easy task for two really bad uh, New York football teams next week as we have uh, the Giants welcome, uh, actually the Giants going on the road to play the New Orleans Saints at the Superdome. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago with the hurricane and everything and the, the bad weather and everything that was hitting New Orleans, there was question that if this game was going to be played there, everything's been worked out. The Saints are back home. Uh, the game will be taking place at the Superdome um, next week, October 3rd. Uh, it's going to be a really, really big game for the Saints. They're 2-1 and one now. Jameis Winston is looking pretty good. He looks refreshed and surrounded by talent. They're coming off a big 28-13 to victory over New England today, so they're feeling good about themselves. That was on the road in New England, too. So... You know, and you could say what you want about Mac Jones, and if the uh, the Patriots have misplaced their trust in giving him the reins over a guy like Cam Newton, who was a, a more pedigreed type quarterback and you know a, a veteran presence there at least. Uh, but the Patriot defense is really good, really, really good, one of the best in the league, and um, 
the fact that Jameis Winston played a pretty mistake-free game, didn't turn the ball over today, um, threw, threw a couple of touchdowns, uh, and looked like a leader out there for, for that team, that's a really big step for Winston himself and the Saints as a team in this now post-Drew Brees era. So definitely got to keep your eyes on that. Um, you know, the the Saints are definitely riding high, but the Giants are not riding high on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're 0-3 for the second straight year and looking to avoid an 0-4 start. And, you know, if you start 0-4, you're running the risk of becoming irrelevant before, you know, now with this new 18-game season or, or, or 17-game season. You know, it's a 17-game season, but it's a, a 18-week season. So weeks-wise, you won't even be a third of the way through the year, and you'll be pretty much irrelevant, pretty much done, and, um, you know, cast off the at least cast off the back pages for any good reason. You know, it, I'm sure... The, the Jets, who we'll get to in one second now, um, are going to be uh, somewhere near the back pages, but it's not going to be for any good reasons. You know, the the Giants lost a hard-fought battle to a bad team. Okay, you can take that. But now, when we look at the Jets, who, as we turn the page here, uh, they're also 0-3, talking about the, the Giants falling 0-3. The Jets, now, we said the Giants were 0-3 for the second straight season. Well, guess what? The Jets just said, hey, Giants. Hold my, you know, hold my beer for a second, because we're gonna be zero and three for the third straight year. That's how bad football is getting in in this part, you know, in in New York. Which who would have thought, you know, ten ten years ago, fifteen years ago, the Jets and the Giants were both relevant teams, both good. Now these teams are so far away from being relevant, so far away from being good. Uh, this time really only can be um, hearkened back to in the 1970s when the Jets missed the playoffs for 10 straight years, which, by the way, the Jets have tied now. If the Jets miss the playoffs this year, it'll be 10 straight. Um, and, you know, the the Giants are out of the playoffs every year since 2016, so 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 now. This would be the fifth consecutive year the Giants have missed the playoffs. Just nothing but incompetence from these two teams. But like I said, the the, the Jets lost today to the Denver Broncos 26 nothing. That's right. I said 26 nothing. And no, Adam Gase did not come back to coach the team the last couple of weeks. Adam Gase did not have the reins of, of the offense that we so rightfully so criticized during his tenure here in New York. The Jets have so far, you know, if you look last year, the Jets were 0-3, like I said. Through those three games, they were outscored 94-37. to Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Well, this year, they've been outscored 70-20. to So somehow, even though the Jets' offense was terrible last year, through three games, they've actually managed to score 17 less points than they did last year. Incredible! It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It boggles the mind how bad the Jets have been uh, through these first couple of games. You know, offensively, really the only time they looked like a competent offense was in the second half of the first game against Carolina. 
the entire game against the Patriots. Patriots are a really good defensive team, so I, I'm not going to kill them for it. But the entire game against the Patriots, they looked bad. You know, you had Zach going out there, throwing four interceptions, looking terrible. This week, he goes out there, they get shut out. All they mustered last week was two field goals. They mustered nothing today. Uh, they had a chance to make it 10-3 to early on and hit a 56-yard field goal, which kicker, rookie kicker Matt Amendola did hit. He drilled a 56-yarder right down the middle. But then they had a five-yard penalty for delay of game, which was ridiculous, and they deserved it, though. It wasn't a bad call by the officials. It was just ridiculous that the holder couldn't get the, the snap down and the ball down in time. Absolutely ridiculous that the Jets ended up blowing that. They cost themselves five yards. It went to a from a 56-yard field goal to a 61-yard field goal. You know, I understand Robert Sala not wanting to get crazy, especially if you watched football all day like I did. You saw the game earlier in the day where, um, you know, a 109-yard um, was a 109-yard touchdown was brought back by the Jacksonville special teams player who took it back to the house after a missed 68-yard field goal attempt. But then also, on the other side of the coin, in today also, you you saw um, the Baltimore Ravens kicker Justin Tucker drill a game-winning 66-yard field goal as time expired. I still can't believe, I mean, that's a typical Detroit Lions way to lose They as they lost to the uh, Baltimore Ravens today. But really, really incredible how with such regular, uh, regularity, these coaches are attempting 60-plus yard field goals today. And guys are hitting them too. It's not, you know, you used to hear, if a guy would go, attempt for a 60 or 61-yard field goal, you'd, you'd roll your eyes and say, there's no way he's even going to come close to hitting it. And now guys like Justin Tucker are hitting it. And uh, it's it's really incredible to see. You know, with the uh, to, but to continue on with the Jets, you know, I mentioned Adam Gase. It's a Gase-like offense that we've seen. Um, n- the run game is non-existent. They actually managed to rush for 150 yards, which, by the way, um, a couple of years ago in 2018, the Jets had Chris Ivory still. He had a gigantic game against the Denver Broncos r- right around this time in the season, week four, week five, right around there. You know, three or four years ago, whatever it was, 2018, I believe it was. And he had a game where he ran for over 200 yards, uh, set a bunch of jet single-game records, looked great, was incredible. Since then, that was a game where the, the Jets ran for over 250 yards as a team. Since then, the Jets have only run for 150 yards in a game three times, including last week. And they didn't come close to that number today. Um, just absolutely terrible. They had no answers for the good defensive scheme that was run out there by Fangio and the Denver Broncos today. Um, you know, Matt LaFleur, he's the younger brother of Packers head coach, uh, Mike LaFleur. And, you know, you just sit here and say that this kid looked completely outmatched today. He was playing checkers while the other coaches were playing chess. The old, you know, that, that old gag. And, um, it was just another non-competitive game. Over the last two weeks, we've seen the Jets be outscored 52 to 6. 
It's just the same old Jets. And I know the people over there in Floral Park, New Jersey, hate to see, hate to hear that. But it looks like the same old Jets right now. It smells like the same old Jets right now. And guess what? They're the same old Jets. Um, a couple of questions. Is it preparation? Is it coaching? Is it the players? What is the problem right now? Um, I know the Jets aren't the most talented team in football. I know the Jets probably wouldn't even be in the top 20 to 25 most talented teams in football. But they have talent. They have something now. They have a better offensive line than what we've seen so far. And they haven't played it. Um, you know, I, I know Makai Becton is down and him being injured doesn't help. But the offensive line, Vera Tucker, McGovern, Fant, all those guys have to play better. Um, you know, and they have to start opening more pass for the running game, which the running game also has to step up. Another guy, Zach Wilson, he has to step up today. 19 for 35, 160 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Terrible. Cannot happen. It means the last two weeks against the Broncos and the Patriots, he's got no touchdowns and six interceptions. Unacceptable. No matter if he's getting bad breaks or bad play from his receivers, it's bad play from a couple of receivers and everything isn't going to relate to six interceptions over two weeks. That's on the quarterback, too. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying that he is blaming anybody else, but I don't want fans or his coaches or people in the media to give him a break because he's played bad over the last two weeks. And so far we've seen one really good half of football from um, from Zach Wilson through three games, and that's concerning. And guess what? Guess who suddenly doesn't look like the worst player to ever play the game of football? Sam Darnold actually looks like a passable quarterback when he has competent coaching, competent players, and uh, he's he's in a uh, environment right now that is is not you know crushing him from every side. So I uh, I tip my cap to Sam Darnold because the kid deserves a little bit of help and he's finally getting it. Um, Robert Sala, you know I still like Robert Sala, uh, not not only as a as a coach but a, as a guy. I think Robert Sala is a good guy. I think uh, he he has the right mindset for this, and I think he needs to find a way to start building something, start building something. The team looked lost today. They looked lost. They looked in disarray, especially on the offensive side. You know, the defense has been doing their best to keep him in it, and I know that's Salah's game, you know, being on the defensive side of the ball. Mosley's looked good. Quinn, you know, Quinn Williams has looked good. But we had a lot of um, uh, discipline issues. They had some really big penalties. We mentioned one of them earlier before that cost them a field goal. There was another one. Where they, uh, when, when they were receiving the ball, they had the legal block. They had, they had eight or nine penalties today. You have to bring that number down, cut it in half if you can, because you, you're giving away yards, you're giving away first downs. And for most of the game today, until the end where they got a couple of, of uh, first downs in garbage time, the Jets actually had more penalties than first downs, which is just a disgrace. That's a disgrace. That can't happen. You know, that's something that you see in college football when you're having a Division One team play a Division Three team. And unfortunately, right now, the Jets are playing like a Division Three team. And I don't expect it to get any better next week. 
when they're playing the um uh you, you know when when the Jets are having another tough opponent um they're in you know just a, it's it's just another test for this team for the, for this young quarterback and they have to keep their heads up because most likely you know you're playing the Titans next week you know uh, Mike Vrabel one of the best coaches in in football the last couple of years uh, he's a guy that actually outmaneuvered Bill Belichick in the playoffs last year um so you know and Vrabel it's a case of the student beating the teacher the former Patriot linebacker coming back and knocking off his former coach and former teammate Tom Brady too at the time, um, but uh, you know it's just um, really really interesting how this is all going to break out. The the Jets and the Giants look like two teams in route to zero uh, and four starts, and the Jets really need to change that for just. Robert Sala needs to get a win. He needs to get that first head coaching win, and teams need to know that it's not the two and fourteen team. You know, the, the two and fourteen team that you could just come in and roll over. But right now, it's looking dangerously close to that. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our first break of the day. I want to thank you for sticking around with me here on this Sunday night at Sports Talk New York. Um, if you want to check us out at WGBB Sports Talk on Twitter and Facebook, see what we got coming up. But uh, I'll be back in a minute with a little baseball talk and a little hockey. So catch you in a minute. Thanks for sticking around. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Rob Kramer. Uh, sitting here with you on this Sunday night as we're getting late into the evening here. 9.30 p.m. right here on the East Coast. Uh, WGBB Sports Talk New York coming at you. Um, you can check me out actually on Twitter if you want to see uh, my social media at my last name Kramer NY. That's C R A M E R N Y. So you can check that out on Twitter if you want to give me a follow. I'd appreciate that. And check us out, um, you know, on Facebook and Twitter and everything else too at WGBB Sports Talk. Um, so right now, if you're uh, Watching the Yankee game, uh, we got a thrilling game going on up in Boston right now, two to one, as uh, these two teams fight for the pl- uh, final playoff spot right now. The Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays in a dead heat for this right now. Yankees and Red Sox tied exactly. Blue Jays a game and a half back. So whoever wins um, this game tonight takes first place in the wild card slot for the American League. Um, the Red Sox currently have two on, nobody out, as the Yankees have um, 
Rodriguez in right now to face Christian Vasquez. Uh, 2-1 Yankee lead, trying to protect it. Dijon and Mayhew had the RBI hit earlier in the game that gave the Yankees the lead. And, uh, you know, the, the Yankees need to keep winning. That's all you have to do. Um, the, the American League East is already out the window, surprisingly. The Tampa Bay Rays already clinched game over. Even with the other tough, tough teams in their division, you have three other teams that are going to win 90 games. I mean, the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays are all going to win 90 games. Only two of those teams are going to make the playoffs because the Tampa Bay Rays already punched their ticket. So uh, we'll get to the Yankees as uh, they continue their run right now um, here in Boston. Uh, got a uh, two to one lead right now in the seventh, as I said. But uh, you know, I got some things that I want to get off my chest uh, pertaining to the other team in New York right now, the New York Mets. As we'll get to the Yankees, I'll I'll, I'll give you updates too if you can't keep up, uh, if, if you're not watching on TV or following John and Susan on the radio. I'll give you uh, a couple updates if anything happens, if the Yankees get out of this inning. But um, as for the Mets, the orange and blue team in New York, uh, they lost 8-4 to today in Milwaukee. Uh, terrible, terrible job by the, uh, the, the Mets. Just It's just been an absolute slog over the last few weeks for this club. Uh, they they end up losing 8-4 to today, um, which allows the Milwaukee Brewer, uh, Brewers to complete the sweep and not only complete the sweep, but clinch their division as they erased a three-game, uh, a, a uh, three-magic number. Uh, all three got got away from them this weekend as they pounded the Mets into submission. Um, you know, and this is something that, as you know, I, I I really didn't have the heart to watch the celebration on the field of the Milwaukee Brewers clinching the the National League Central. I didn't. I didn't want to see it. I had no interest. Um, but I hope that a lot of these young Mets players, you know, not Lindor, not Javi Baez, not you know, Degrom, who I'm sure was in the dugout, um, or you know, a guy like Syndergaard or guys that have been there, you know, they didn't have to have to sit there and watch it because they've they've been to the World Series. They've experienced the highs and and the lows of um playoff baseball and high stakes baseball and stuff like that. Um I want guys like Pete Alonso to sit there and watch that. I want guys like JD Davis and Dom Smith and you know James McCann for that matter and you know a, a lot of these guys Jeff McNeil who, you know, Tomas Nito, who have never played a playoff game. Taiwan Walker, for, you know, um, you know, obviously Marcus Stroman has, has played in the playoffs. He was with, uh, the Blue Jays when they went to a couple of, of ALCS runs as, uh, a sacrifice fly, by the way, just ties the game for Boston now 2-2 in the seventh as the Red Sox dugout explodes. Uh, still, still got a runner on second, so I'll keep you updated on that too. But um, here's here's the thing too. Okay, so when we look at it, um, 
And also another note too: the Islanders just uh, closed the door on a four-nothing victory over the Rangers. So nice little way to start the season for the Islanders as they went four-nothing in Madison Square Garden uh, to open the preseason. But m- moving on about the Mets. So the last time I sat here was just over a month ago, and when I sat here, the Mets were sixty and sixty-one, and they. When I sat here, I said to myself. Felt very similar to 2016. When, if you're a Met fan, where you, if you remember, uh, coming off that World Series appearance season in 2015, the Mets, through the first 121 games of of 2016, had the same record that they did this year, 60 and 61. Not good, not terrible, but also definitely not good. And I thought that they had to produce a same record or a, a very similar one for that matter um, to to make the playoffs or at least keep themselves relevant at this point. And I said that would mean that over the final 41 games they'd have to go 27 and 14. Um, and <laughs> you know in in 2016 the Mets did that did just that. They went 27 and 14, finished the season at 87 and 75 tied the San Francisco Giants for the one-game playoff, and then ended up losing to Madison Bumgarner in that wild-card playoff game uh, where they ended up losing with the three-run shot by Connor Gillespie off of um, Jerry's Familia late. Um, but un- unlike that team that produced a 27-14 and record um, through the... Through 34 of those 41 games so far, the Mets have produced a 13 and 21 record to drop their record from 60 and 61 to now 73 and 82. And with that 82nd loss guaranteeing themselves at least a, um, a losing season for the fourth time in the last five years. Just terrible. A terrible way to cap off this year, which was supposed to be a great year, um, with Steve Cohen taking over as the new owner of the Mets, owning 95% of the club. Um, you know, they, they went out and did a lot of stuff this year. Um, you know, they held first place for three straight months, over 90 consecutive days in first place from May to July, just about August. And, uh, it just all went down the toilet. It all went down so quickly. It slipped through the Mets' fingers so easily, and you saw it happening in real time, and just couldn't do anything about it. Um, you know, one of the, uh, after they were eliminated from the playoffs on on Saturday night, you know, sitting back, I think to myself, they, it's not entirely Luis Rojas's fault, and I don't think that he should get the brunt of the blame for this season. But one thing I became uh, very aware of, and I guess that's just the best way to put it, the one thing I became very aware of is that Luis Rojas is not a difference maker on the bench. He's not a manager that's going to steal you a win. He's a manager that could actually end up costing you a couple of wins with his weird, robotic, managerial style. 
where, you know, he's just really, he might as well be a computer that you're entering percentages in, and there's no feel to it, and it feels more to me like a minor league manager trying to um, not get the best out of his uh, out of his um, players instead of trying to get a win because it, you know that's how you would manage in the minor leagues it's not so much about the wins and the losses as it is seeing the growth out of your player and I think that's kind of how he still manages and you need to get the wins you're in New York you're in the top um, you know, market in the entire country and world, even. And I just really have to say that I think um, that Luis Rojas doesn't do that, and he doesn't he he doesn't get the the most out of his roster. You know, I I used to think that a guy like Bobby Valentine would go out there, and if you had a ninety-one win team, Bobby V could take that team and. Score Squeeze an extra four or five wins out of it. So if it was a 91-win team, maybe he could make that team win 95 or 96 games, like he did with the 99 Mets, where they ended up winning 97 and making the playoffs and beating the Reds in a one-game playoff in route to um, the National League Championship Series against the Braves that year. But, you know, when it comes to... Um, to Luis Rojas, I think he could take a 90-win-win team and make them an 88-win team with some of his decision-making. So uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being hard on on Louis. I'm trying not to. But uh, it was a complete failure across the board from the Mets. Uh, you know, Francisco Lindor needs to take a lot of heat from this year. Just a terrible, terrible year. Now, my hope and my feeling is that this was Lindor's bad transitional year. This was the year where, you know, he just had, he was transitioning nationally to American League, um, new city, you know, s- smaller city to much bigger city, um, you know, things like that. And it feels to me a lot like Carlos Beltran's transitional year, where he went from, you know, Kansas City slash half a year in Houston to, New York and 2005, he had a good year where it was, you know, he hit around 275, 16 home runs, 78 RBIs. And, it, you know, when you look back on paper now, it doesn't look that bad. But then when you look back to the season that he had the following year when they won the division, where he hits 275, but he, he, he also adds 41 home runs and 116 RBIs, you know, that's the Carlos Beltran season that you're used to seeing. So I think that we're going to see more typical Francisco Lindor next season. Well, the Mets better hope. Um, you know, and then obviously now that this season's coming to a close, uh, maybe we'll see Jake one more uh, time. On Tuesday, we're supposedly going to be seeing Noah Syndergaard join the team. Um you know, so there's there's still a lot that, uh, you know, you're going to be seeing over the next week before the Mets season comes to a, a close mercifully. But then you have to remember, after this year, what do you do about Javi Baez? You know, a month ago, most Mets fans would have said, get him out of here. Now, Javi Baez has, if you look 
at the numbers that Javi Baez has put up since his acquisition on July 31st. Um, statistically speaking, Javi Baez is one of the best deadline acquisitions the Mets have ever made, right up there with Yoenis Cespedes. Uh, and I know uh, for Met fans that probably haven't been paying as close attention right now, you'd be saying to yourself, how is that even possible? But Javi Baez hitting over 300, hitting for power, walking more, playing great defense. I mean, you could say what you want, but um, Javi Baez also right now has the second highest OPS for players that were traded in July. Kyle Schwarber leads it with a 949 since that trade. Javi Baez is 914. So, you know, Javi Baez has played at an elite level since being traded to New York. Oh, my God. And as I'm saying this right now, the Yankees, for the second time this inning, botch a fly ball in uh, this at-bat right now. There was a fly ball to the third baseman that was dropped in foul territory, which cost the Yankees a chance to get out of the inning. And then their left fielder, Joey Gallo, who's usually a very good defensive outfielder, came across to try to catch the pop-up following that and botched that one, and he dropped it. So now, after two terrible defensive plays, although Gallo did um, recover well and threw a strike to second base to cut down the uh, the advancing runner, but he they just gifted the Red Sox the lead as a sack fly tied the game at 2-2, and now a botched ball in left field ended up putting the Yankees uh, down 3-2 now as they've seen their, lip, their lead slip away. Um, but just to finish up on the Mets here, as I see that happening right now, uh, you know, beyond the ownership role, obviously we've seen the change there that we needed. We went from the Wilpons to Steve Cohen last season, and to say the least, that's a step up. However, you're going to need someone now to be that liaison um, beyond Sandy Alderson and beyond Steve Cohen. You're, you're going to need a guy to come in here and control baseball operations and hire his GM and everything along that line. And right, right now, I'm going to rattle off a couple of the contenders for this, for, for this position. And for the first one, I'm going to include a manager, too, because right now it's tough to even think about. I think Luis Rojas is gone after this year. I'm not calling for his job. I like Luis as a guy. Uh, I think, actually, as a matter of fact, if they do fire him, he should be retained and reassigned within the organization and, you know, use him somewhere else. Because he is a good baseball guy. I just don't think he's a great in-game manager uh, at the major league level. But um, th- these are a couple of guys who they could bring in to take over. And one guy that has really been talked about recently um, is Billy Bean out in Oakland, who, if you know anything, if you've ever read the book Moneyball, which preceded the movie Moneyball, and Billy Bean and Sandy Alderson are pretty much what that movie was about. San- S- Sandy Alderson taught Billy Bean everything that he knew. Um, 
Billy Bean said that he learned more under Sandy Alderson than anybody. They had such a close relationship. Um, you know, B- Billy really looked up to, to Sandy in a lot of ways and said that he cherished every single day that he worked under and with Sandy and would have continued to do it for as long as he possibly could have stretched that out. Um, um, and, and also, too, what people are saying is that if Billy Bean comes here, there's a chance that maybe he could bring manager Bob Melvin along with him. And, you know, the athletics have employed Bob Melvin as a manager for a long time, and he's still considered one of the best managers in baseball today. Um, as a matter of fact, for, former Met Yoannis Cespedes says that he, he still speaks glowingly about Bob Melvin to this day. Loves him, thinks he's the best manager he's ever had. So, uh, a lot of high talk from Bob Melvin. I, I don't know how realistic that that part of it is, but I do think that Billy Bean coming back to the Mets, and now a lot of people could sit there and say, well, wh- what does he mean when he says back to the Mets? Well, Billy Bean was actually a former Met player. He played there as recently as 1995, and he was actually the Mets' first-round pick in 1980. So... um you really have to know that that Billy has some roots in the Mets organization. Um, he has connections with Sandy and a couple other guys. Uh, there's a chance that the the Mets could lure Billy Bean out this way. And you know, look, a- another thing to talk about Billy Bean is that he's 59 years old now. He's not the the young whippersnapper GM that we once knew when he was first in, get in, installing his his money ball and everything at the A's and winning all those games and letting Giambi walk and all that stuff. Um, it's, been, it's come a long way since then. And think about that. He's been the head guy ever since Sandy left in 1998. But Billy Bean has run the organization since 1998 and been the head guy. Um, ever since that point, now think about what years can you really remember. Uh, 2002, obviously they had that great year, the 20-game winning streak and... You know, that was the year Moneyball really was put into to work and everything. David Justice coming in, all this. That's what the movie was about. Um, uh, other than that, you know, they would they, they were in the ALCS in 2002. They were in the ALCS in 2006. Uh, they've never gone beyond that. And think about how long 2006 was. I mean, Mets fans remember that was, uh, that you know, the Mets lost in Game 7 that year. The uh, A's didn't even get that far. You know, they end up getting knocked out and in four straight against the Tigers. The Tigers broomed them very quickly to move on to the World Series. A lot of people thought we were going to be seeing uh, potentially another Mets A's matchup or another or a first ever Mets Tigers matchup. Instead, we got neither, as it was uh, the Cardinals and the uh, Detroit Tigers locking up in the World Series for the first time since 1968 um, that year. Uh, you know, and as you as you look around now, Billy Bean and Bob Melvin make sense with the connections and everything. There's a couple of other guys I'm going to get to real quick is David Stearns. Um, now, David Stearns, he's 36 years old. He's the Milwaukee Brewers president of baseball operations and has been for the last few years. He's one of the better and more well-respected executives across baseball. Uh, and he's a New Yorker. He grew up in Queens, and he grew up a Mets fan. So there's that connection there. Does he want to come back home? Does he want to um, be the guy running the show 
for the billionaire new owner of the New York Mets, the team he grew up rooting for. Uh, this is a guy that has turned the Brewers into a perennial contender. They, the Mets just watched up close as his uh, Milwaukee Brewers clinched yet another National League Central Championship. So uh, that's another name to keep in mind. Uh, also, Josh Burns. Josh Burns, he was in the running, if you remember, from 2010 when they originally hired Sandy Alderson when the Wilpons were still calling the shots. Um, Josh Burns was another uh, guy in that running for the GM. Uh, he's the former GM of Arizona and San Diego. Uh, he's been the Dodgers senior vice president of baseball ops for the last few years. Uh, there's talk the Mets could be trying to lure him in for this gig. And also, uh, I'm going to give you the long shot one. Well, aside from Theo Epstein, I don't think, I think that Theo is kind of a long shot. Um, but not as much as the guy I'm going to mention in a minute. Uh, but you know, Theo, now don't forget this, the, the former Cubs Red Sox executive right now, who's been working in the commissioner's office since leaving the Cubs last year. Um, this is a guy with three world championships to his name. Uh, the 04 Red Sox, the 07 Red Sox, and the 16 Cubs. This is a guy that has a pedigree of winning. Um, you know, one of the youngest and most successful general managers ever. He's, uh, not even 50 yet and has already turned two, um, teams from, he, he really took the Red Sox from nothing and turned them into a, a, a perennial winner. S- still to this day. Ten years after his departure from the Red Sox, his fingerprints are still felt within that organization, and they're still playing meaningful baseball. So, and and the same thing, you know, not so much with the Cubs this year because they dismantled, but trust me when I say I think next year the Cubs are going to be um, looking, you know, they 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 might not be a playoff contender immediately. I mean, you know, when you, when you subtract Chris Bryant. Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo from your team, you're going to have to replenish them. But I don't expect the, the Cubs to be a complete teardown either. Um, so, but just to finish up too, now also one other interesting name that the Mets could consider would be Jeff Lunau. Now, if you know who Jeff Lunau is, he is the uh, former president of um, baseball operations for the Houston Astros who won a World Series with the 2017 Astros, um, and, uh, you know, this is a guy, uh, who was suspended for, uh, all of 2020 for his role in the, uh, the illegal sign stealing, uh, and, and, and all that, you know, so, uh, you have to remember, really, you'd be taking a chance if you hired him, um, but remember too, AJ Hinch and Alex Cora, who both were much more heavily involved in this, uh, you know, this whole deal, um, with with the illegal sign stealing and the 2017 Astros and everything like that, they're both back now. You know, Hinch is managing the Tigers. Alex Cora is managing the Red Sox tonight in the game that I've been talking about between the Yankees and the Sox. Um, so there still is a chance that you could see him back. Are the Mets going to be the team that give him the shot? I think that's the longest shot of everybody I just mentioned because Steve Cohen, you know, there's a reason why he brought in Sandy in the first place to try and placate Major League Baseball and the other owners to, you know, let them know that he's not going to do anything crazy. 
And if they're trying to teach this guy Lundhau a lesson and they don't want him back in baseball, at least at this point, I don't expect to see him back. And I don't think the Mets are going to be the one to give him the opportunity either. I think maybe a team with a little bit more, um, you know, standing in the league right now with a, with a, a, a more respected owner. And that's not taking anything away from Steve Cohn. It's just that I don't think Steve Cohn's going to want to present himself as the guy that's going to go against the wishes of Major League Baseball. At least not yet. He's still a little bit too new. His feet are still a little bit too wet. So he's going to want to take, he's going to want to slow walk that even if he does eventually want to become the Mets type of George Steinbrenner guy. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a lot that we, uh, we just covered there. Um, and, and, and obviously there's a lot going on in Boston right now as Anthony Rizzo was just gunned down at second base on a fantastic throw by, uh, Christian Vasquez. Um, you know, the, the Yankees are trying to mount a comeback right now, but it's just, uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's happening. Um, the, uh, the, the Red Sox and the Yankees, this is going to be a photo finish between these two teams. How much would Major League Baseball love if we got the wild card game, a one-game playoff, now wherever the game would be played, it would probably either be played on Fox or TBS or one of these big stations, maybe even ESPN. And you know if you get a Yankee-Red Sox one-game playoff, it's going to be... Um, it's it's going to be a ratings juggernaut. It's going to be like an NFL football game, most likely. Um, one of the higher-rated games all year. Everybody's going to want to see. Everybody loves when the Yankees and Sox play in the playoffs. Uh, the last time these two teams played in a one-game playoff was 1978, where um, if you're a uh, Yankees fan, or well, if you're a Red Sox fan, you remember this more clearly probably as Bucky Dent got his... Uh, his famous nickname, Bucky Effendent, when he hit his big home run in Boston to send the Red Sox home in 1978. But uh, we're going to have to wait to see how that comes out, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm coming down to the final seconds here of my show. Uh, I want to thank you here for, for tuning in to Sports Talk New York with uh, with me here on this Sunday night. We covered a lot of ground tonight. I hope you had fun doing it with me. I know I did. Uh, you know, I want to thank the guys for putting me back in, Rob sticking me on. Brian Gray's behind the glass, the best in the biz. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, I'll, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, catch me on my podcast, Coffee with Kramer. You can check that out at Twitter, at, at Coffee W. Kramer. And check me out on YouTube, where I'm live right now. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, check me out on YouTube, Coffee with Kramer, as well. So thanks for sticking around. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend, and I'll catch you next time. I'm Rob Kramer. Have a good one. views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.